Hello there, Lepsters. Hello, podcast people. Listeners of Luke's English Podcast. Hello, you. How are you doing? Here's a quick message just before this episode properly begins. A message from me to you. Um, Now, you can see that I'm posting episodes very regularly at the moment. Lots of episodes. Um, And honestly, I'm slightly concerned that it's a bit too much. Maybe there are too many episodes and you might not be able to keep up with all of them. But I just have to get this holiday series published quite quickly so I can then move on to some other episodes. Okay. Now, I've actually finished this series now. And this one is part six. And there are eight episodes in total in the series. Eight. Yeah, it's quite a lot. I didn't originally intend to do that many episodes, but I got a bit carried away, I think. Anyway, so eight episodes, this one and then two more. And then uh, episodes will go sort of back to normal again. And you'll hear some conversations with guests and some more of the real British English that you've come to expect from this podcast. So I think that you'll like this episode, number six. It's all about going to Las Vegas, which is a completely bonkers place. It's completely mad. So you'll hear some stories and little anecdotes about Las Vegas. You'll also hear about what happened with Wrong Cars, that wonderful car rental company from part one of this series. So I hope you enjoy listening to it. This episode is sponsored by italki. Their sponsorship makes this whole podcast possible. And if you haven't checked them out, then I recommend that you do that. You can find qualified teachers for lessons, community tutors who are English native speakers for speaking practice. And also you can organise language exchanges, which give you a chance to talk to native speakers who want to learn your language. It's a language exchange. So check out italki, find a teacher or conversation partner and start speaking and really work on your English. Activate your English. Uh, visit teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website and you can get started. And when you buy some talking time, italki will send you a voucher for a free lesson. All right. So there's the sponsorship promo bit. I'll now let you listen to the episode properly. And here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I hope you're doing well uh, wherever you are. I am currently sitting in a chair. Exciting times here at Luke's English Podcast as I sit in a chair. I'm actually doing that thing where you lean back on the chair and you kind of rock forwards and backwards. I rock, well, at least I am rocking right now, literally rocking forwards and backwards in a chair. This is the sort of thing that when I was young, when I used to do this as a young person, as a child, for example, that adults would tell me to stop. So it would be my parents would be like, stop rocking back and forth on your chair, sit normally. Or it would be teachers going, don't do that. Usually the, the things that teachers would say, if, if they catch you doing something or if they caught you doing something that you shouldn't be doing, like, for example, if you come into class and you sort of throw your bag on the floor, because that's the sort of thing kids do, isn't it? Just come into class, like a cool kid, bag on the floor. Don't try and look like you're taking it too seriously. Bag on the floor, sit back uh, on the chair, start rocking forwards and backwards, maybe trying to impress 
one of the girls in the class without actually talking to her because you're too shy, but instead you act all nonchalant like you don't care and you lean back on the chair and then the teacher comes in and goes, Thompson, stop leaning back on that chair. You might fall backwards and you could hurt yourself. Do you do that at home? And and I think to myself, well, uh, sometimes I do do that at home, but I get told off by my parents for it as well. Oh, childhood. What a crazy childhood I had. Anyway, I'm now sitting in a chair, my own chair in my own flat, um, and I'm leaning back on the on the back legs of the chair. Living life on the edge, ladies and gents. <laughs> this is the rock and roll lifestyle that I lead. Adulthood. It's it's great. I like being an adult because I can get to do things that I want to do. And um, I'm going to be a dad. Uh, if you've listened to the other episodes in the Holiday Diary, you must have heard me mention it. I'm going to be a dad. And I'm, it just makes me think... Maybe I'm going to be one of those adults who says, don't lean back on your chair. Sit up straight. Come on, concentrate. Put your mobile phone away. It's dinner time. I'm sure I'm going to be like that. It happens to uh, happens to the best of us, doesn't it? Maybe I'm going to be a dad like that. Maybe I'm going to be like a cool dad. Like, yeah, it's cool, man. Just lean back on your chair. It doesn't matter. It, ultimately, you've got to just learn, haven't you, by making your own mistakes. So, yeah, go ahead. Lean back on the chair. Even if you do tip over backwards and smash your skull, the back of your skull on the floor, uh, at least you'll learn from it. You might never learn anything again because of the brain damage, but at least you'll know the uh, consequences of leaning back on your chair. I don't think that's the ideal way to, to bring up a child, is it? I think probably you just tell you just have to be that that parent who says, don't do that, blah, blah, blah. You know, it'll end in tears. Anyway, welcome to the podcast, and uh, this should be, uh, I think, number 400, I think it's 479 probably, if all goes according to plan, this will be 479, and I think it's called Holiday Diary Part 6, and um, yeah, Part 6, it's going on a bit, isn't it, this series, I didn't expect it to be this long, I think I've said this already in previous episodes, I didn't expect this, but it seems that... um, I just have to get all of this stuff off my chest. I've got to get all this stuff out of my system. All the stuff that occurred to me during the holiday and that built up in my brain. And it has it has to come out on the podcast. So this one is part six. Now, the plan was originally that I would finally get around to talking to you about the amazing sort of natural monuments and amazing uh, bits of nature that we saw in the national parks and things. The big rocks and all that stuff. That was the plan. But I think that in this episode, it looks like I'm not even going to get there because I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Las Vegas because we um, we we stopped in Las Vegas for like an, an evening and one night and um, it was enough, to be honest. You don't need to spend lots of time there um, unless you're like a mad gambling uh, freak or something. Uh, but only like sort of less than a day in Las Vegas but I think that's all I'm going to be talking about in this episode. What's Las Vegas really like? And how crazy is it? And what about the casinos and the gambling and stuff? And also, I'm going to teach you some phrases that relate to gambling, some idioms from English that come from gambling. Now, not just phrases we use to talk about gambling, because to be honest, 
you know, we don't talk about gambling that often. But these are phrases that come from gambling that we use in general English to talk about um, to talk about uh, all sorts of things. Okay, so I'll come. That's going to be included in this as well. So let's carry on. I think in the last episode I talked to you about some things we experienced in Los Angeles. So not even most of the way through the holiday. Doesn't matter. So we did. We went to Las Vegas. So that. Okay, sorry. Remember that um, uh, the itinerary. Uh, go to North America, despite all of the crazy political stuff. But never mind that. Go to America via Montreal. Spent some time. Spent like a, a day in Montreal. Loved it. Brilliant. But I'm sure it's very cold in the winter time. But there are worse things in the world, aren't there, than um, being a bit cold. Anyway, then uh, Los Angeles for just a few days to kind of see the sights and do a bit of trekking in the in the parks and stuff. And uh, then into places like Arizona, Utah, and Nevada to, to see some of the natural spectacles there. And, and on the way there, we stopped off in, in Las Vegas because Vegas is, is sort of like your entry point to that whole area. And it's pretty weird because Las Vegas is, is like this big city and it's full of casinos and crazy things. It's totally the opposite to what life is like in the national parks and those areas of natural beauty. Yes. So we went to Las Vegas. Why? It was just a stopover on our way to these other places. And also we thought, well, Las Vegas is the kind of place that you'd like to have a look at at least once in your life just to see what all the fuss is about. So we went uh, at the end of our time in, in uh, Los Angeles. The, the plan was to fly to, to Vegas. It's about a one hour flight. We could have driven. It takes about four hours. Uh, but the, the plan was to try and reduce the amount of driving on this holiday, um, as I'll mention in a moment. So, um, so we had to take our rental car back to the rental car company. Do you remember the rental car company? I mentioned them in part one of this series. Do you remember them? Wrong cars. That's what I'm calling them. Uh, that's the company, Wrong Cars. We had we weren't very satisfied with their service. So, if you remember from part one, what happened originally when we picked up the car in Los Angeles, just a, a Nissan hatchback, by the way, nothing fancy this time. So, when we picked up the car at the beginning of the trip, uh, at the start of the trip, we had to go and wait in a boiling hot car park, a parking lot. They called it the cell phone lot. We had to go and wait in this boiling hot car park in like Inglewood or somewhere where I stood waiting on my phone, waiting for ages, trying to get through to someone to tell tell them that we'd arrived. So can you come and pick us up, please? Standing there on hold with music playing and advertising on the telephone because there's just advertising on everything in the States. Uh, Standing there on hold with my arm going numb, all the blood running out of my arm, waiting to speak to a human and the sun beating down on both me and my pregnant wife. And after about 40 minutes of standing there in direct sunlight, a guy in a rental car finally came. He just turned up in a rental car. He came. We were expecting a shuttle service. That's what was written in the email. But here's just a dude in a car. And he came and and picked us up. And he told us, oh, yeah, the shuttle buses are in the garage. They broke down on Tuesday. So they're all in the garage. Okay, so that was what happened at the beginning. So now we had to uh, return our car before getting on the flight to Las Vegas. So we we drop off the car, we pay the money to the company to wrong cars. We ask them about the difference in price between the bill and the receipt. 
We asked them about that. Remember, that was an issue. And they said, oh, yeah, we'll look into it, blah, blah, blah. We asked them about that. And the response from the girl on the desk was, oh, I'm sorry, Manny isn't here today. Manny's not there. So Manny was the uh, manager who was responsible for that that kind of thing. And so we were like, well, can you do it? You know, I know Manny's not here, but could you do that? And he's like, and she was like, I'm sorry, I can't. He's the manager. He And he's not here today. That's convenient, isn't it? So they couldn't fix out, fix uh, or sort out this discrepancy in the bill. Um, so there was supposed to be a shuttle service back to the airport from from the car rental company, right? But it's obvious that this is a crappy little rental car company that's cutting corners and fobbing everyone off with this talk of the shuttle and these excuses like, yeah, sorry, Manny's not here today. I don't care about Manny. Don't tell me that Manny's not here today. Just just do it. Do it now. This is that's not how I did it. That sounds rubbish. I don't just do it now. I don't even know what I ha- what you have to do. Just do it now. That's not how I actually did it at the time anyway. Uh so they were fobbing us off with all this talk and and this thing about the shuttle which this shuttle that's mysteriously always in the garage. Both of both shuttles mysteriously always in the garage. Again, we're told that the shuttle is in the garage. So we squeeze into another rental car with a German couple this time. So another couple of tourists who just happened to come from Germany. So we all squeeze into the car. My wife in the front, because she's preggers. And I'm squeezed in with the Germans in the back. And the Germans are quite nice. But it's pretty clear that they didn't have the best experience with their car either. And... It turns out they've driven a really long distance in their rental car without cruise control, which apparently, you know, cruise control in America, it's standard for rental cars. Do you know what cruise control is? Basically, cruise control is that if you're traveling a long distance, for example, in the United States, where they have very long straight roads, if you're traveling a long distance, it starts to get a bit tiring after, let's say, a thousand miles, it starts to get a bit tiring when you're constantly pushing your your right foot down on the accelerator pedal, maintaining the you know your high speed. It, that gets a bit exhausting. So you can switch on cruise control, and it basically sets the car at a certain speed, so you don't need to constantly be pressing down on the pedal with your foot. That's cruise control. It's much more comfortable when you're driving long distances along those big straight roads that they have in in the States, right? So it turns out this German couple, they've driven a really really long distance without cruise control, uh, which is normally standard in in rental cars. And they're saying to the driver, like, "Do do you not have cars with cruise control? Because it's very uncomfortable to drive 4,000 miles without cruise control, you know? 4,000 miles. I'm, I'm thinking to myself at this, this point, 4,000 miles without cruise control? My God, his leg must be knackered. And the driver goes, uh, cruise control? Yeah, there's cruise control. And the, the German guy's like, no, there is no cruise control in this car. And the, the driver's like, this was your rental? Turns out the shuttle that we're supposed to have, this shuttle service is just basically the same car that the Germans just rented and drove around North America, 4,000 miles around North America. It's just the same car. That's the shuttle that we're using. The Germans are like, no, there is no cruise control. It was very difficult for us. Do you not have cars with cruise control? This is my German accent. (laughs) This is my attempt at a German accent, which 
the the thing is, whenever I do a German accent, it starts to slip into Christopher Walken, the uh, the movie star. Christopher Walken, who speaks like this, wow! And whenever when I do a German accent, eventually, if I keep doing it, it becomes Christopher Walken. All right. So the Germans are going, yes, there's no cruise control in this car. It was very difficult for us. Do you not have cars with cruise control? Wow. <laughs> and the, the driver at this point is not interested in, in taking questions. And he just says, well, some of them do and some of them don't. And the German continues and he says, I think it would be good if your cars had the cruise control. And the driver's like, I'm just the driver, man. And I note in my head at this point that our car that we'd been driving around, our car had cruise control. And I never used it, not once. But I don't say anything. I don't think it would have helped to mention that at the time. Can you imagine? Well, our car had cruise control. You just drove 4,000 miles without cruise control. Your leg must be completely destroyed. Ours had cruise control, but, uh, you know, but guess what? We never actually used it. (laughs) Would have been useful if we'd swapped cars, right? I bet you would have appreciated that after the first 3,000 miles. I bet your leg wouldn't be hurting quite so much as it does now. (laughs) Anyway, but I didn't say that. I just enjoyed the really awkward atmosphere in the car. I say enjoyed. I didn't really enjoy it. I just, uh, let's say, experienced the awkward atmosphere in the car and the knowledge that also at this point my wife was pretty much steaming, like ready to explode with, with indignation about the service. But she was keeping herself under control. And um, after the Germans got out and carried on with their lives, my wife chose to start cross-examining the driver, a bit like um, a sort of a police investigator or a lawyer in a courtroom. She starts to cross-examine the driver and she's like going, so um, where are the shuttles exactly? And the guy's like, oh, they're in the garage. We had some uh, some trouble with them. And uh, she's like, oh, what, both of them? Uh, and, uh, and he goes, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's just a coincidence. And my wife's like, okay, um, when exactly did they go into the garage? And he could have continues his story. Oh, they just went into the garage, uh, just on Friday. And she goes, ah, well, last week you said they broke down on Tuesday. They went into the garage on Tuesday. That was last week. And he's like, oh, I'm just the driver, man. Like calling my wife, man. Uh, I'm just the driver, man. And and she was like, I, I know you're just the driver, but... And he and then he starts to get a little bit angry at this point. And he, he started going, well, you're getting driven there, okay? I'm driving you personally. And she says, I know, I know, but we just we just don't appreciate being lied to. That's all. I mean, you, you say that the, the, the shuttles went into the garage on Friday. And then last week, before Friday, you said they went in on Tuesday. Come on. And at this point, the guy started to get really angry and he started making it really personal. He was like, okay, you're getting personal with me now. I don't appreciate you making personal attacks against me, okay? So he kind of starts, I don't know, like pleading the Fifth Amendment or something. I don't even know if that's the correct amendment but or, or even if that's appropriate. But it's one of those American things, isn't it? He starts like pleading the First Amendment or some something. And he's like, you're getting personal with me. I don't appreciate you making personal attacks against me. Uh, not that's obviously not the an amendment of the constitution anyway and 
then, you know, he delivers us at the airport. He's really angry. And I was taking the bags out of the back of the car. And I was trying to kind of make, you know, make things nice. And I was going, look, 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 it's not personal, okay? We're just, com- we're just commenting on the service. You know, we were told one thing. We get another thing. It's not you, all right? It's, it's your management, right? And he wasn't having it. He just went, well, I deliver you to the airport and you make it personal. And then he just got in the car and drove off. So, whew, Wow. I couldn't, to be honest, I couldn't help feeling a little bit bad for the guy. Um, I, I think he probably, I think that probably for him, I mean, I'm making excuses for him now, but I think that he probably has no choice but to lie about the shuttle thing because probably the crappy management of his company keeps telling their customers that there'll be a shuttle and then actually there isn't a shuttle. It's written into all the emails and all that stuff. I imagine that he's probably just trying to keep his job. Because he couldn't really say, well, yes, to be honest, uh, sir, our company is lying to you. We don't have any shuttles. It's just not worth it, you know, okay. uh, because we just don't get enough customers to justify using a whole bus, a whole shuttle bus. And there's obviously nowhere us. There's nowhere for us to park a shuttle just outside the office anyway. You've seen it, right? There's no space. So we just we just use these cars. We just use the rental cars. And I drive you, and I'm always dealing with these problems, and we just say that there's a shuttle uh, just because it makes it look like a more professional service. I mean, basically, it's just the management. They keep lying, and I keep having to deal with this shit, okay? He couldn't really say that, could he? He couldn't admit that the company lies or is wrong. It's unfair to him. And I know I'm making, excu- I'm making excuses for the guy, but what can he do as an individual? Really, the management should just say that they have a personal car service. They should just say that on their promotional materials instead of trying to tell us that they've got a shuttle. Just because the other companies have got shuttles doesn't mean they have to say that it's a shuttle too, uh, even if it's lying. They should just say, we've got a personal car service. That would solve the problem. I don't know why I'm saying this to you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if there are any, if anyone out there is listening to this who uh, is in the management team of wrong cars... Just a bit of friendly advice. I think that would be the solution. We don't care about shuttles, really. Just say that there's a personal car service. The driver can introduce himself. He's like, hi, I'm Carlos. I'm your driver. What are you? Where are you guys from? You know, it would be friendly, build up a nice little relationship during the drive. Uh, and, and that would solve the problem, right? Instead, Carlos, or whatever his name is, or was, Carlos is on the defensive and he can't and he can't start talking to the customers because he knows they're not happy already. Poor Carlos, basically, and poor customers. So I wonder what's really going on there at Wrong Cars. I wonder what's going at the, this particular franchise of Wrong Cars and who's in charge and, and all that stuff. Anyway, after that, we got on our plane for the short flight to Las Vegas. We, as I said, we could have driven, but we planned this to make sure that there was as little driving as possible. Because when you're pregnant, it's not good to sit in a vibrating car for hours on end. Uh, and anyway, it sucks to be stuck in a car all the time. So that's why we chose to just take the flight to Vegas. So we arrive in Vegas. It's hot. Boiling hot. It's like 40 degrees or something. It's in the middle of the Mojave Desert, for goodness sake. Actually, I think it's pronounced Mojave Desert. So Vegas is, it was built in the middle of a desert, so it's boiling hot there. Um, and um, this time we, we rent a car from another company this time, a more established company. It was called uh, Enterprise. Admittedly, it's a bit more expensive, but you know we don't want to risk it because we'll be driving 
in some fairly deserted spots and we want a car that won't break down and that has customer service that's actually available by telephone. So we get to the car rental area, which is this massive building in airport land with dazzling service. It's a huge place. They're serving coffee there and stuff. And all of the different car rental companies are based there. It all looks really flash and really well done. And and we're like literally in the car in a matter of minutes. And the car looks brand new. It's clean. It's really well presented. We get in the car. The, the engine is running already when we get in the car. You know, so it's all like slick. You've moved through from getting off the shuttle uh, from the airport to in your car with the engine running in just a few minutes. Uh, this time, for this part of the trip, we rented a small SUV. Uh, an SUV is kind of like a sort of a 4x4, four four, uh, I think it's, it's called a sports utility vehicle. Not the car that I would normally choose to drive, because those sort of 4x4 four four cars, normally I think they're a bit unnecessary. Uh, but the main reason we had one of these uh, SUVs, a small SUV, uh, the main w- reason was because it was comfy and uh, it would be able to deal with bits of rough terrain if we needed it. And so we get a, a Jeep Renegade, which is a pretty cool car. My wife's happy. She's in comfort. It's all good. By the way, folks, have you noticed in this story, I'm using the present tense to describe this, these past events. Present tense. We do this in storytelling sometimes. We use uh, present tenses just to sort of bring you into the story. Imagine you're in the pub with your friend and you say to your friend, so how about that trip to America? What was it like? And your friend goes, oh, it was great. It was brilliant. Did I tell you about the car rentals experience? No, you didn't. Oh, you got to hear this. Right. So we get to the car rental company and they're all unprofessional. It takes ages for us to get service, right? You know, you know, the sort of thing. Yeah, I do. Who did you use? Oh, they were awful. They were called wrong cars. All right. Anyway, so we get to the desk and blah, blah, blah. You see, sometimes we use present tenses to describe stories. Not every time, but sometimes. So back to the story. Las Vegas. Uh, So... Imagine we're in a pub. I'm telling you this story in the pub, right? So we're staying at the New York Hotel, the New York New York Hotel, which is uh, all based around uh, the New York skyline. The hotel is designed to look like the New York skyline. It's pretty crazy. Vegas basically is completely insane, and honestly, in my opinion, not really a great place. In fact, it's the most tawdry, sleazy, tacky place ever, right? tawdry, tacky. This means kind of um, not very classy, feels cheap and nasty, you know, like a very, like, pick the most touristy part of any town and amplify that by a thousand. It's like that. Um, You know, it's all kind of like cheapo gift shops and bright flashing lights and really bad fast food. It's that, basically, multiplied by a thousand. It's boiling hot outside, but inside it's freezing because of the air conditioning. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to build this massive place with all these things like swimming pools, hotels and golf courses in the middle of the desert. God knows how they get any of their water. It's pretty crazy. And it's just a weird place cut off from reality in which you're constantly being seduced and distracted by flashing lights and big things and you're encouraged to gamble your money away. It's like one huge sales pitch in the form of a city. Inside the casinos, there are no windows. Uh, They're like huge circus tents on the inside. 
uh, with big restaurant facades around the edge of of, of the uh, inside spaces of the hotels. Like there are restaurants within the hotel gambling area, tables for gambling, like people playing poker or roulette or or the one where you throw the dice. And there are loads of different numbers and letters, and it's it's like a bewildering illusion of choice. Big individual gambling machines, lamp posts, like things you would normally find outside, just there inside, lamp posts and like fake little streets and massive Irish pubs, which is never really a bad thing in itself. An Irish pub is always always a kind of a welcome sight. But all of this stuff, and you look up to the sky, and it's just the black ceiling of the hotel above you, quite high and in the background. It's probably daylight outside, but you can't see the desert sun. Inside the hotel's gambling area, inside the gambling area, there's just this big black canopy of the ceiling above all of this weird, trashy, fake stuff. It's so weird to come out to the desert and then find yourself in this totally synthetic place, all set against a black backdrop. This is some people's idea of a wonderful place, a vast plastic playground with so many attractions, but there's something sort of unnatural and a bit twisted about it. So weird things, weird, weird things. Here's a little list of weird things um, in addition to the weird things I've just mentioned. People smoke indoors, and this feels a bit wrong now after sort of 10 years in, in the UK, the smoking ban was introduced 10 years ago and there's a smoking ban in interior spaces in in Paris as well so it feels a bit weird to be indoors and there's people smoking and stuff after like 10 years since the smoking ban it's no big deal i suppose but still i think i think the reason why uh smoking isn't banned indoors in vegas is is because they basically prioritize the gambling so even though it fills the air with harmful smoke it means that people stay at the tables and they don't go outside to smoke uh, their cigarettes people continue gambling there's no distraction from the gambling you know Um, there are tourists wandering around families and stuff but also you spot these kind of grizzled gamblers like losing all their money Um, these these characters sort of these slightly desperate looking characters sort of uh, locked into their gambling you see some old people as well who've who must have traveled for for miles to spend their money because they don't really know what else to do with it so it all goes into the machines there are some also some really really drunk people that you see sitting at the bar or at night just kind of like staggering around but also there are families with ki- with children just walking around even some some bars um in these gambling areas you've got the gambling tables and then there are bars around the edge and even these bars have like gambling machines built into the bar so that you can continue to lose money or maybe win while you're taking a break from the bigger tables in one casino where uh, we went to the theater there was a girl there was a girl standing on a table in suspenders like in her underwear dancing erotically on the table so there's like a girl amongst all the gambling there's like this table dancing going on with this this half naked girl dancing on the table and they're just like kids wandering around families walking around and a girl dancing erotically on the table not naked but you know semi naked weird right isn't it a bit weird uh it was like it's a bit like a strip club like a a, a strip club in Disneyland 
It was like a cross between Disneyland and a lap dancing club. Sort of like an adult Disneyland, but with families wandering around in it. Our hotel had a roller coaster going around it. You know a roller coaster? It's a difficult word to say. Roller coaster. A roller coaster is something you would find in a theme park. It's a bit like a crazy train, like a an exciting train, I suppose. You know, a roller coaster. It, you sit in. It, it's it's for excitement. It's for the adrenaline rush, the thrill. Uh, you find them in theme parks. You sit in a roller coaster and clink like a big sort of um, um, brace attaches around your body so that you can't fall out of the thing. So there's this big thing holding you in place, and then kick, 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 kick. It goes up, uh, up, up, up to the top, and then when it gets to the top, it rolls down. Uh, around and around, like loop the loop, and it goes really fast around these tight corners on the on the track. And sometimes you go upside down and you spin round, and everyone screams, and some people throw up. It's amazing. Uh, so there there was a roller coaster going around our hotel, like around the outside of the hotel. The tracks actually went around outside of the hotel, so you can stand in the bedroom, and every now and then you hear the rumble of the roller coaster. You know, if if you've ever been to a theme park where they have roller coaster, roller coasters, you hear that sound, that sound of the roller coaster coming by, with the sound of screaming people. So it's like, you know, that sound of a roller coaster. So you could be standing in your bedroom, and every now and then you hear this, the muffled screams of people outside the window, and this is just from inside your your hotel room. And if you part the curtains, if you go up to the window and peep through the curtains and look out, you can see part of the track twisting around past the window. And then eventually you'll see the roller coaster race past with people screaming on it. Absolutely mental. And if you stand at the window and you take a look out and survey the view, in the distance, in the background, there are the mountains. Then there's like some desert, like flat desert land. And then the closer to you, closer to you, you just see these big, shiny, bright buildings, these weird different themes. All the hotels have got different themes, like there's the New York Hotel, there's the Paris Hotel, there's the Egyptian Hotel, all these weird and wonderful buildings. And then there's Trump Tower. Donald Trump's got a a big building there, big, shining Trump Tower, a massive tower with his name at the top of the tower in huge gold letters, Trump across the top. And you just imagine Trump kind of going, we got the greatest buildings, folks. we got all the greatest casinos. You're going to have fun. You're going to make so much money. We're going to make America great again. Believe me, folks. And it's just crazy. And the thing is that the house always wins. That's the thing with these casinos, right? You have to enjoy the process of it, the process of gambling and the fun of being there. You have to enjoy that because you're basically paying money when you're gambling, you're paying money to experience the excitement of possibly having more money, even if the probable outcome is that you'll end up with less. Is that clear? You're paying for the excitement of losing. And it's exciting because there's a slight possibility that you won't lose, but the fact is you probably will lose. So the chances are that you're going to lose, but you might win, and that's what makes it exciting to throw your money away. So the house always wins. Sometimes someone wins too, but most of the people in the casino are losing, even though some people win sometimes, and the house is always winning.
Fair enough, though. People choose to gamble and they probably enjoy it. People seem to enjoy it. They they choose to go there. Uh, that's their choice, but it doesn't appeal to me very much. Beyond just having a go, you know, playing around maybe with some of the, the machines on a couple of the tables a little bit uh, and just to see what the fuss is all about. Uh, some of you out there listening to this, some of you might be big gamblers. You might enjoy playing poker or something, or maybe doing a bit of online gambling. I'm sure that some of you out there really enjoy it, and there must be some appeal to it. Feel free to try and convince me, because obviously I'm just going by my own limited experience of uh, of the casino. It's maybe a two-dimensional experience that I had, because I haven't really got into doing any gambling, so I haven't really learned how great or how fun it can be. So tell me if you think it's if if you think i'm missing something you can tell me in the comments section and also there are some good things about las vegas okay i don't mean to just trash the place uh there are fun things about it it's not all completely awful it is fun for a night or two uh depending on what you do it's a big spectacle it's you know some of the hotels do look pretty impressive and also there are some spectacular shows that you can see in theatres like dance shows things like Cirque du Soleil or the Blue Man Group kind of you know performances and also magic shows like David Copperfield or Penn and Teller Um, so they get these famous magicians doing shows there as well so there's a lot of spectacle and things to see and we chose there obviously just as a stopover but also to experience it and we did have a laugh I suppose you just have to go with it a bit, you know, just go with it, go along with it and kind of go, wow, look at that. Wow, that's ridiculous. Oh, my God, this place is insane. Wow. Um, A lot of the time we were sort of walking around. We couldn't believe our eyes, you know, we were just sort of going, bloody hell, look at that. Look at that. It's massive. It's a massive Egyptian pyramid. What? And then you turn around the corner and and there's like um, the New York skyline and then other hotels have got there's an Eiffel Tower. An Egyptian sphinx, massive fountains, light shows and things. It was pretty weird for us to see the Eiffel Tower in Las Vegas, considering that we see it every day in Paris, like the real one. And then we kind of travel all this way, end up in Vegas and just we're on the strip and uh, driving along. And then it's like, look, oh, look, the Eiffel Tower. It's just like being back at home, but not. Also, another good thing is that it's actually a very convenient place in the sense that it's it's really easy to access the airport. It's not really that big. Things tend to be open 24 hours a day. Um, you can always get something to eat. Uh, they're, they're, people are helpful and friendly, like the staff that work in all the places. They all seem to be helpful and friendly. There was a Whole Foods supermarket there. In fact, there are lots of Whole Foods supermarkets in Las Vegas. I don't know if I... I haven't really talked about Whole Foods very much, but Whole Foods was a sort of a... Uh, a central part of the the holiday in in fact some parts of the holiday were planned specifically around the location of the whole foods supermarket um the whole foods is uh, an american supermarket chain that specializes in kind of healthy food which is really great i mean obviously america is famous for fast food burgers and fries and unhealthy stuff like that but you can get some really good really wholesome healthy food and whole foods is the place to go for that it's a bit expensive but it's kind of worth it to, 
for the quality of the food. And they've got loads of stuff, loads of fresh fruit and vegetables and lots of like uh, they do really good sushi. You can get like um, custom made sandwiches and wraps and uh, and and all of the stuff is organic and, and really good. Um, so there's tons of stuff that you can get in Whole Foods. And so we would kind of strategically plan to visit Whole Foods so we could stock up on on, on healthy food that we could eat. Um, and, you know, obviously some of the stu- stuff in Vegas in general is just good fun. So, you know, that's that then. So I mentioned Penn and Teller. We actually went to see the Penn and Teller show because... I thought, well, we're going to be in Vegas for one evening. What are we going to do? We can't just gamble. Uh, let's go and see a show. So I booked us tickets to see Penn and Teller. In the English-speaking world, I think Penn and Teller are probably the most famous magicians. They might be the best magicians in the English-speaking world. They're really famous uh, magicians. Uh, they're famous in the UK because they, they used to be on TV a lot. Uh, they're famous in the United States, also on television a lot, and they've they've got uh, a very successful Las Vegas magic show, which is in the Penn and Teller Theatre. They've even got their own theatre. It's called the Penn and Teller Theatre. Penn Gillette and Penn Gillette is one of the guys, and Teller. What's his surname? I don't know what actually if what his full name is. I always know know him as Teller, and they're an interesting act. Penn is tall and talkative. He's a motor mouth. He's the one who does all the talking and he's got all of the kind of um, the patter. Patter is an expression that we use sort of in entertainment to describe when an entertainer is able to talk to the audience and maybe kind of improvise and make a few jokes. The crowd work. He's able to do all of the crowd work and he's got all of the entertaining and convincing sort of chats, the patter with the audience. Teller is silent. He's mute. He never, ever speaks on stage he's completely silent and that's really interesting because he works as he's kind of got this style like a classic magician from the silent era of of movies he's like charlie chaplin or something he's a great visual comedian he's got a very expressive face also he's a lot shorter than pen so there's this interesting sort of uh dynamic between the two of them that pen gillette is this tall very talkative guy and then Teller is smaller and completely silent. Uh, Penn is really good at uh, the kind of verbal trickery. So he, he tells you these stories and um, kind of builds the, the, the story of the trick. Um, and he works the audience in that way. And Teller is just v- really talented at doing sleight of hand magic. Sleight of hand is when you do a magic trick using your hands so it's the dexterity or skill of um like uh manipulating cards for example um doing very very clever movements with your hands so that you for example make a card disappear or make it reappear in another place it's uh the ability to distract people's attention for example if if you're making a a card disappear you have to make people look in another position while you subtly uh, 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 palm the card like put it in your palm or drop it under the table or put it up uh, I don't know where the cards go I don't know where they go but it's it's very clever the way he kind of um, um, uh, distracts your attention and is able to uh, make things appear and disappear 
So Penn and Teller, the Penn and Teller show was amazing. You can see videos of Penn and Teller doing their magic. Um, I'll put a video on the page for this episode so you can check it out and see what we saw. Uh, but that was a really good experience, actually. You know, actually seeing firsthand um, the the magic tricks of Penn and Teller, and they did some incredible things. Check out the video on the page for the episode. Uh, you'll, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Penn and Teller are absolutely fantastic. So in the casino. After the show, we did go in and uh, we decided we'd try out some of the uh, uh, gambling machines. Uh, there are loads of different things to do. We didn't play any cards or anything like that. We just decided we would play some of the one-armed bandits. Uh, these are those machines, uh, one-armed bandits. Those are the ones that have got like an arm on the side and you pull the arm and the things spin round and you have to try and get three bits of fruit that line up and then you get, the, get your money. That's the way it's supposed to work. You know the kind of thing. Right. Uh, So there's bells or the number seven that comes up or like cherries or whatever. And so we decided we'd play the fruit machines. That's what we call them in in the UK. Um, And it's basically, it's like $1 to pull the arm and watch some things spinning round. Costs you $1 for a little spinning light show, basically. So we put aside uh, about $50 for fun, Okay. Because I think that if you go gambling, the, the thing you have to do is you choose how much money you're going to spend. And you make sure that you don't go above that amount. Now, $50, certainly compared to a lot of the other people in the casino, $50 is not very much. And we decided let's spend like $25 each just, just to pay for the experience of gambling. If we win some money, great. If we lose, then we've paid $25 each to experience some gambling in a Las Vegas casino. It's more like, it's kind of like dipping your toe in the water. The equivalent of that, rather than jumping into the swimming pool completely, we basically just dipped our toes in the water, you could say. $25 each, $50 in total, just for fun. So my wife actually enjoys the one-armed bandits and she's actually very lucky or she considers herself to be very lucky. I'm a lot more sceptical about it. I don't know if I believe in luck um, you know, I believe in the force, don't I, of course, because I'm a Jedi. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I'm a bit more sceptical about the whole thing, but she thinks that she's blessed with luck or something. Actually, she's blessed She's blessed with Luke, isn't she? Huh. Actually, I'm not sure if blessed is the right word. I think married to is probably the better option. Anyway, in England, when we first met each other, we sort of at the beginning of our relationship, we took a trip to Brighton, which is a town on the south coast of England, and we went to the pier. A pier is a wooden walkway that stretches out uh, from the sort of from the, the, the seafront out over the sea, like a wooden walkway that goes above the sea. There are wooden legs that support it, a pier. And it's typical in British um, holiday resorts, like on the seaside, that there's often a pier. And on the pier, you get lots of uh, attractions like arcade machines, gambling machines, and other things like that. So we went to Brighton Pier uh, a few years ago. And uh, she was convinced that she would win money on the machines. She was like, come on, let's go to the pier. Let's go and play the gambling machines. You know, I'm lucky. I'm going to win some money. I always win money on the machines. And I was kind of going, well... Yeah, but, you know, the house always wins and blah, blah, blah. And she was saying, no, no, I'm magic. This was in England years ago. And so at the time, I was kind of shaking my head, 
thinking that but there is no magic there is only the force and she put one pound in a slot machine in brighton and promptly won 20 pounds bam off her first pound 20 quid and she she was like i told you i was magic so anyway we walked away 20 pounds richer we didn't continue gambling it was just literally a one pound deal bam 20 quid fine good and we we left because i think she's smart enough she's clever enough to know that you quit while you're ahead right that's the thing that you should do if you're gambling you should just quit while you're ahead stop gambling when when you um, have made more money than you started with that's probably the wise thing to do Um, so we left uh, that experience 20 pounds richer now the same thing happened again a few years later when we were in a little resort in the north of france where you can find some casinos. And uh, now she's not a gambling addict or anything. She just likes playing the machines a few times when we're on holiday sometimes. So we went to this casino in this town in the north of France. And this time we chose to spend no more than 50 euros, right? A 50 euro limit. Ooh, big bucks, high stakes gambling, right? Just 50 euros. So we were walking around this, this casino trying to find a good machine, and there were some like slightly sad looking people just sitting there like plugged into these persuasive light shows. It's a sort of like a low level basic addiction or a high level addiction for some people. It's an addiction to the sales pitch. That's what it feels like. So I was being very sceptical again and kind of going, oh, I don't really believe in all this, making sceptical noises. We ended up leaving the casino that time with 80 euros. So 30 euros up from when we went in. Hmm, not bad. Maybe she is lucky, you know. And uh, we quit while we were ahead again. Now, in Vegas, last month, we did some gambling on the machines. We got our our $50 in tickets and stuff, and we did some gambling on the machines. And I was thinking, well, she is magic. Maybe we'll win enough money to get a half-decent dinner tonight. And so... Uh, we played the machines. We lost all the money. We just lost all of it. It was just basically one st- one steady, one-directional flow of us putting money into the machines and getting nothing in return. Basically, Las Vegas ate our $50 like a crocodile eats a chicken. Just one gulp, just gump, all of it gone. Didn't even chew. It didn't even touch the sides as it went down. So just all of the... All of our $50 just bing, 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 in, 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 in. And Las Vegas just went, thank you very much. So we won nothing. Well, almost nothing. We did seem to win a few credits sometimes. You kind of put your, whatever it is, like your $5 in each time. And it's like, bing, bing, nothing, 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 nothing. And your credits go down and down and down. And it always seemed to be just at the last moment when we had like one or two credits left, we would win something. Boom, 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 like that. And ah, right. And I'm sure that's a little trick to encourage you to put more money in because you think the machine is about to start paying out at some point. You know, it's kind of like nothing, nothing, all the money, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then at the end, bing, 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 bing. Oh, all right, let's put some more money in. It's going to start paying out. I'm sure it's a trick. Obviously, we didn't know what we were doing. We had no clue. And I'm sure that those machines were probably the wrong ones to be playing. And some of the casinos, obviously some of the casinos are better than others. And we were probably in a, like a really rubbish casino. But anyway, we weren't really there for the gambling. We were more interested in playing itself safe, playing it safe. And I think that 
I think that, uh, to be honest, my wife just enjoys paying the money just so she can pull the arm. I think that's the main thing. Pull the arm, watch the thing spinning round. She's normally quite a sort of clever, sophisticated person. But put her in a casino and it's just like, I just like pulling arms and seeing flashing lights. Anyway, here are some expressions, um, some vocab uh, relating to gambling, some idioms in English that come from gambling that we don't just use to refer to gambling. So one of them is to be on a winning streak. If you're on a winning streak, it means basically you're winning, you're, you're, you're doing well. So you might talk about a period in your life when you're on a winning streak. Like, for example, if you've, you know, your friend might say, oh, I'm on a winning streak at the moment because I just got like a really good new job and like a, a, I met a really good, nice girl and, you know, all these good things are happening, that you're on a winning streak. And similarly, when bad things keep happening to you, when nothing is going your way, you can say that you're on a losing streak. I'm on a losing streak. I'm on a winning streak. A streak would be like a, a succession of, of things. Um, then the next one is to break even, to break even. So um, in gambling, this is when you basically win the same amount of money that you lose and you end up back at the same level you were at the beginning. So you kind of, you're not in the minus figures and you're not in, in profit. You're just sort of at, at the same position you were at the beginning. You break even. So that's used in gambling. It's also used in business in general. So if you're do, making, you know, if you're uh, doing business, um, you break even when you make no profit, but you also make no loss. So ideally, when you do a business venture, at the bare minimum, you want to break even. And then from that point, you need to start making profit. And that's to break even. So for example, you know, we went to the market to sell our products and oh, it wasn't a very good day. We didn't even break even, which meant that we lost uh, money. Uh, the next one is to quit while you're ahead, which is um, that just thing that you're supposed to do when you're gambling. If you quit while you are ahead, it means you stop when you're winning. Okay. The next one is the house always wins, uh, which is, I suppose, just a, um, it usually refers to gambling, meaning that the casino ultimately is always the winner. But it also means kind of that the system is usually the one that, that, um, that has the upper hand, or the system seems to be the thing that wins rather than individuals. So the house always wins. Um, to, to bet, um, uh, bet, not, yeah, not Tibet, not the place, but uh, the verb to bet. Um, there's a joke, isn't there? Like, um, you're a Buddhist, aren't you? Yes, I am. Do you like Tibet? Or do you think gambling's wrong? <laughs> I don't know, just a joke. And I'm not making a statement about Tibet and all the political complications that relate to it. No, 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 no. Certainly not. Anyway, to bet, just the, gam the, the, the verb bet, which means to gamble. But we use bet in English all the time. You could use it to refer to a gamble. Like you would say, I bet you £20 that Arsenal win the game. I bet you £20 that Arsenal win, for example. So that directly means to, to, to gamble. But it also, we can use it as a challenge. Like you might say to your friend, I bet you can't do X, Y, and Z. I bet you can't do that. I bet you can't throw this paper ball into the bin from here. Sort of thing you do in the, in the office when you're bored and the boss isn't there. You scrunch up a ball of paper, uh, a piece of paper into a ball and you say to your office friend, you go, look, I bet you can't throw this ball into that 
bin from here, right? I bet you can't do it. And your friend goes, all right, come on then. And then you've got the paper Olympics for two hours as you as everyone in the office is trying to throw paper balls into bins. I bet you can't do that. There you go, as a challenge. And also we use bet to talk about an expectation. For example, I bet all the tickets are sold out. For example, you're trying to buy tickets to see Penn and Teller uh, and it's at the last minute and you go, come on, check online. Maybe we can get tickets. And you're like going on, I bet all the tickets are sold out. And you get on the website and then it's like, oh no, there's one left. Quick, get it. Okay, only one. Um, so anyway, I bet, oh, I bet, I bet, I bet they're having a great time. You know, that's what you would say. Some of your friends are at a party, but you have to stay home because there's a baby. And you kind of say to your your, your, your wife or your partner or whatever, oh, I bet everyone's having a really great time. And your wife goes, oh, don't say that. We're having a great time too, aren't we? We're raising a family. We're we're tutoring a child in the ways of righteousness, and we're clearing up poo. How how could this not be fun? Um, anyway, I bet I bet everyone's having such a good time. I bet you're really enjoying this, aren't you? For example, next one is uh, to show your hand. Show your hand. Um, now, in in a in a game of cards, your hand means all of the cards that you are holding in your hand, and to show your hand in a card game means to actually reveal all the cards you've got so to put the cards on the table but also it could be used just to mean to reveal your position to show your hand so in in for example in negotiation um you know you don't want to show your hand until the last minute or maybe something like you know the uh the prime minister theresa may um is reluctant to show her hand in the Brexit negotiations, which means she doesn't want to give away her position or something like that. Uh, to show your hand, to reveal your position. Next one is um, a poker face, which I imagine many of you know. Uh, there's a song by, uh, what's her name? Uh, oh, bloody hell, what's her name? Oh, God, come on, Luke. Uh, poker face, mama, poker face. Poker, she's Lady Gaga, of course, Lady Gaga. She wrote a song called Poker Face, didn't she? Here's a joke. Uh, how do you piss off Lady Gaga? How do you make Lady Gaga really annoyed? Poker face. Okay, that's a double meaning because poker, the name of the ge- the name of the card game, sounds like uh, the words poke her. Poke meaning like touch someone with your finger, boink boink boink, like that. You know, like the way you would poke someone in the ribs. They used to be able to poke people on Facebook. I don't know if that's still possible. Anyway, poke someone is like, stick your finger, like, normally it's in someone's ribs, like, bit, bit, poke someone in the ribs. Or you, poke someone in the arm, or poke someone in the face, which obviously would be, uh, that wouldn't be very nice, poke someone in, it would certainly make Lady Gaga angry if you did that. How do you make Lady Gaga angry? Poke her face. Okay, uh, how do you get um, Pikachu and Squirtle onto a bus? Pokemon. All right, then. So, poker face. Now, poker face, in a game of cards, your poker face is is the way that you have a facial expression which reveals nothing. A totally motionless face so that other people can't read what's going on in your mind. When you're playing poker, it's very important that you don't give away if you've got a great hand, for example, if you've got a really good set of cards in your hand, you don't want to be like, oh, I've got a great set of ha- cards. There's no way you're going to win this one. You know, that would 
that would not be a good idea because then everyone else in the table knows that you've got a strong set of cards. There's no way you're going to win if you do that. So you have to keep a poker face while you're playing. And it's, it's used in any other situation too where you just keep a straight face and you don't give anything away. Don't push your luck. There's a good one. Don't push your luck. If you push your luck, it means you take a big risk. You try doing something that could end in failure. And if you say to someone, don't push your luck, it's a bit like saying, watch out, be careful, you know, don't push your luck. For example, I don't know, you're in the countryside and you see a bear. Oh, look, a, a bear with, with, its, with its family. Look, it's a mummy bear and three lovely, cute little baby bears. And your friend's like, I'm going to go over and take a picture. And the friend goes over to take a picture of these bears. And you're thinking, oh, God, this, this is not going to end well. And then uh, your friend's like, but the, the bears aren't doing anything. I want the I want the mummy bear to stand up on her legs. That's amazing when they do that. And the and the your friend starts throwing stones at the bears. And you're like, don't push your luck. They'll get angry. It'll rip your face off. And then before you know, it's like that scene from uh, the Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio. Suddenly, ah, horrific. Anyway, don't push your luck. It just means be careful. Don't take a big risk. Watch out. Watch what you're doing. Next one is raise the stakes. If you raise the stakes, that doesn't mean you take some beef and lift it in the air. Oh, no. No, it means raise the stakes. Um, in, in gambling, the stakes, this spell S-T-A-K-E-S, uh, the stakes, to raise the stakes means to, uh, the stakes are the money which you have to gamble in a round of poker, for example. Like every round of poker, everyone's got to put money into the pot. And uh, the amount of money, that's known as the stakes. The stakes are high, the stakes are low, means the amount of money that's being gambled is either high or low. And if you raise the stakes, it means you're basically uh, increasing the amount of money that you can win or lose. But also in general, it means to raise the general level uh, of risk or gain. So raise the general level of what you can win or lose. So it just means like raising the, the level of, of, of risk or gain. Um, for example, here's a line from a recent Daily Mail article uh, from the, the Daily Mail's news website. And this is about Trump and North Korea. And the, the line in the article says, Mr. Trump raised the stakes in the escalating crisis over North Korea's nuclear threats suggesting drastic economic measures against China, criticising uh, USA's ally, South Korea. So the report there, again, a bit of politics, but I'm not talking about politics. I'm just reporting something from the Daily Mail's website. Mr. Trump has raised the stakes in the, uh, North, Korea's, in the North Korea crisis. It's being described as a crisis by suggesting drastic measures like economic sanctions against China and criticisms of South Korea. He's raised the stakes. Suddenly, the, the situation has become a lot more you know, risky with lots of potential problems. He's just raised the stakes. Okay. And the next one is the chips are down. So we had stakes in the last one, but the, not, the type, not the food, a uh, different type of stakes. And also the chips are down. We're not talking about potato chips. Chips here means uh, the little plastic coins that you use when you're gambling. And if you say uh, the chips are down, it means basically you're feeling bad or the situation is bad. So things are bad. You're just in a bad situation. For example, here's, here's an example about cricket. And it would be when the chips are down for England, Moeen, 
That's the name of a player. Moeen is often the side's most useful player. When the chips are down for England, Moeen is often the side's most useful player. So the chip, the chips are down, meaning it's a bad situation. Okay, there you go. There are a few expressions relating to gambling. Uh, let me just carry on here and finish up by uh, just sort of finishing the story of, of Las Vegas and kind of giving you my final uh, descriptions about it. Um, I once saw a documentary um, by Louis Theroux. I've mentioned Louis Theroux a couple of times on the podcast recently. I think in the one about Scientology. Was that the last episode? I think so. I mentioned Louis Theroux's documentary, which is called My Scientology Movie. Louis Theroux is a British uh, documentary maker. He's brilliant. I absolutely love his documentaries uh, because he's kind of like an unassuming guy who manages to go and speak to the subjects of his documentaries. He kind of follows them around and socialises with them. And because he is quite nice and polite and he's not very threatening and he basically makes friends with the people he's he's um, documenting, they allow him to come into their world and the film crew follows them around and it makes it a very revealing, very interesting documentary. Plus, Louis is just sort of a nice guy and he's quite funny. So check out Louis Theroux documentaries, L-O-U-I-S-T-H-E-R-O-U-X. So I saw a really good documentary years ago by Louis Theroux. I think it was on the BBC. Uh, and it was about high stakes gamblers in Vegas. These are people who, who um, gamble with lots and lots of money. Some of them lose thousands of dollars, but they keep gambling because they think that they're eventually going to start winning it all back. I've put some videos from the documentary on the page for this episode, and I really, really recommend that you watch those videos uh, because you'll, you will find them fascinating and it will introduce you, unless you already know about him, they'll introduce you to uh, Louis Theroux and you must watch his documentaries. They're absolutely brilliant. So the... F- Watching those videos, the phrase that I take away from one of the videos is is this. And basically, Louis is with a, a high-stakes gambler. And they're standing in the biggest hotel suite in the city, looking out of the window at the huge hotels and the skyline. And Louis turns to the gambler and he says, Vegas, they didn't build these casinos on winners, you know. Meaning that all of these huge buildings were built on all the money that was lost by the people who came to gamble there. And the guy says to him, yeah, I know. I think in the lifetime, everyone's a loser. But the thrill of being able to win today, lose next month, win the year after, I think it's the challenge. I think it's the thrill. I think it's the entertainment in this city. Vegas. They didn't build these places on winners, you know. Um... 100%. As I said, I I, I think in a lifetime, everybody's a loser. But the thrill of being able to win today, lose next month, win the year after, I think it's the challenge. I think it's the thrill. I think it's the entertainment in the city. So the whole thing is about the thrill of losing, but maybe winning. And it's a... I think it's quite a seductive thrill as well. For me, the danger of it goes a bit like this. You might start by winning some money and then you feel lucky. So you kind of, you start betting bigger, but you lose it. Okay. 
let's say you start with $50 and you make 100 and then you you think, wow, I'm brilliant. I'm on a winning streak and you bet the 100. You might even start betting more money and then eventually you lose it and you lose big and then you're down by like hundreds of dollars when you started by just, you know, uh, gambling 50. And then you start digging yourself in deeper and deeper. You, you dig yourself in deeper and deeper, expecting your luck to change so that you can win the money back and just break even again. You dig deeper, expecting your luck to change, but there is absolutely no certainty that your luck will change. Some people talk about the law of averages, this kind of made-up law, suggesting in that in time, any sequence will ultimately ba- uh, balance out. That's this kind of concept of the law of averages, that basically everything will balance out in the end. For example, you might spend a certain amount of time losing, but ultimately this will be balanced out by the number of times that you win. I think it's a fallacy. But that's assuming that gambling in in a casino is completely random and even, like there's an even chance. But usually, I think it's subtly weighted, uh, it's weighed in favour of the casino so that the pattern is that the casino wins more often than you do. Even if you win a lot, the casino can afford it because more people have lost overall. So often, these high-stakes gamblers keep betting because they think that they'll eventually start winning and they often don't and they sometimes leave utterly devastated by all of the money that they've lost and in the end the house always wins then what might happen is let's say for example you've you've lost a lot of money and you feel dejected um and then you you sort of resign yourself to failure but then you play another game because why not? And you're sort of addicted to it, even though you're you're in this depressed state where you're like, I'm just a loser. And you, you but you continue, and then you hit a winning streak, and that's a powerful combination of defeat and then victory. You go up, and then you come flying back down, and then you come flying back up again. The whole thing is out of your control. You're basically at the mercy of this external force this force of luck, this weird sort of external force, you're playing around with luck, not Luke, luck, okay? And the house always wins. So it's a, it's, it's a dangerous cycle to get trapped in, I think. So we drove along the strip um, at one point. We took the car out and we drove along the, the strip, which is like the main road that runs through the middle of Las Vegas where you can see all the big hotels and casinos. It's absolute madness out there. There's just all flashing lights and the spectacle. It's like Piccadilly Circus on steroids, but the steroids are also on steroids. That's kind of what it's like. Um, and um, in the morning... We went for breakfast. I ate an unbelievably massive plate of pancakes, uh, which was probably like having about three breakfasts in one. But I felt like I needed the the challenge. Like, right, I'll order six pancakes. I'll have six. I like pancakes and syrup. And they came and it was like six enormous pancakes. And I didn't manage to finish them all, to be honest. So anyway, massive plate of pancakes. And then we just got out of town and hit the road and headed for the for the canyons and the nature and all that stuff all those big rocks right so that was my that's the las vegas episode of this holiday diary well i told you that i would talk about nature and canyons didn't i big rocks and stuff and all the stuff that i really loved seeing but i got a bit carried away by uh tales of gambling in in las vegas 
Las Vegas, this place that seems diametrically opposed to somewhere like Bryce Canyon National Park or, or the Grand Canyon. It's like the total opposite of those places. In the end, I'm glad that we only spent uh, an afternoon, an evening and a night there. Um, no need to go back. You only need to experience it once. You probably don't even need to experience it ever. It's um, it's It's just pretty crazy. And all in all, I think that the natural beauty is so much more real and much more of a wonderful, a genuinely real spectacle. Well, then again, anything is more real than Las Vegas, I suppose. Thank you, ladies and gents, for listening to the episode. And don't forget to join the mailing list on the website. Thank you to the Orion Transcription team and the Andromeda Proofreading team for all your great work. Shout out to the comment section crew. Shout out to the long-term Lepsters. You know who you are. Shout out to the new listeners of the podcast. Uh, I hope that you stick with the show. Shout out to every single one of you all around the world listening to this right now and united by the fact that you're all citizens of Lepland or Podland or whatever we're calling this community which crosses international boundaries. Shout out to all of you. Be excellent to each other and party on. And I'll speak to you in the next episode. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.